you have your Bible, if you would turn with me to oh, the book of Revelation. I'm going to be in chapter 20. Those of you who follow college football know that there's been a lot of talk on the television and radio about who ought to get in the playoffs and who ought not get in the playoffs. And, and today at noon, some judges are going to make a decision as to what happens in that situation. There are a lot of variables, aren't there? A lot of variables that go into that decision. But this morning, I want to preach to you on a subject that we find in verse 11 out of chapter 20, where there's not a committee of judges, there's only one judge, and there are not a lot of variables, there's only one fact, <laughs> can't even call it a variable, but one fact that that judge will look at to determine whether you'll be at this judgment or not. This is called the great white throne judgment. I'm not a hell, fire, and brimstone kind of preacher. But I don't skate around anything that's in the Word of God. This is not a pleasant subject to talk about. But, you know, God, Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. And the truth is, there is a hell. And there are people that will go there if they don't receive Christ into their heart as their Lord and Savior. And so, this morning, the Lord has given me the task of preaching this passage of Scripture. It's Revelations chapter 20. We're going to begin reading with verse 11. And we'll ask you to stand with me, if you would, and honor the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, And then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Father, again, I ask that you I would preach through these lips of clay. Lord, not my words, but yours. And Lord, that you would do in the hearts of your people what you purpose your word to do. Make good on your promise, Lord, that it would not return void, but would do in the heart of your people what you purpose it to do. And, Lord, I pray if there be one here this morning, Lord, does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that these words that I preached this morning, that you wrote, would penetrate their heart and draw them to you, and today they would be saved. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject, when the books and the book are open. When the books and the book are open. Before I begin, I want to say first of all that I am very, very thankful for the mercy and the grace of God and for the wonderful truth that Jesus saves. 
I thank him for coming to this earth, for dying on the cross for me. I thank him for saving my soul. And even after all these years, I still have a hard time when I try to comprehend the depth of God's love and I, I struggle to understand why he did what he did for me in spite of me, in spite of the way I lived, in spite of the things I did. And I understand I am so undeserving of his mercy and his grace and his great love. And I certainly don't deserve to spend eternity in heaven, but I sure am thankful that I will because of him and what he did. Now, as thankful as I am for my salvation and for the promise of heaven, I'm equally as thankful for what Jesus saved me from. And I'm extremely thankful that I will not be at this final judgment. At least I won't be standing with those who reject Christ during their lifetime. Now, that said, the sad truth is there are probably some here present this morning that if today were your last day on earth, if you took your last breath, Sometime today, or God were to call you suddenly home tonight during your sleep, uh, you could be standing, or you would be standing before Christ at this last judgment, forever doomed to spend everlasting torment in hell, if you've not received Christ as your Savior. And friend, make no mistake about it. Hell is not a fairy tale. It's not a figment of someone's imagination. It's a very real place, just like heaven is a real place. And you can choose to not believe that truth, but that will not change the truth. It will still be true. Both heaven and hell will still be real. And there's coming a day when men's dreams and schemes will come to an end and all the material things, that uh, worldly things that they sold their souls for will fade away like a distant memory. There's coming a day when God's going to put a final period on the last word of the final sentence in the final paragraph of the final page of the last chapter in the book of history. And time, as we all know it, will come to an end. The church will be removed from the earth during the rapture. The tribulation period will be over. Jesus, along with all of his saints, will have spent the last thousand years together on this earth. The millennium will have ended. The devil, called Satan and his demons, will... Uh, be cast into the lake of fire along with the beast and the false prophet. And then the Bible says that the dead, every unbeliever who's ever died, from every part of the earth and from every part of, of hell will be raised to stand before God to be judged. And one by one, they will stand before the Lord Jesus and they will see him, not as their Lord and Savior, but as their righteous Lord and Judge. And they will face this one final judgment, which is described here in Revelations chapter 20. Now, before we dive into to this passage of Scripture, let me share with you a true story. Years ago, there was a, a young preacher. He'd been called by a small church to a small town to be their new pastor. And it just so happened that in this town, there was a, a self-appointed skeptic. His name was Bert Oney. Uh, and old Bert, for some unknown reason, felt like it was his ultimate duty to humiliate and humble every preacher who came to serve at this little church. And Bert just loved to argue. You know, you met people like that. And he just loved to argue. And though he was intelligent by the world's standards, he uh, was no doubt a fool by God's standards. Well, Bert could hardly wait for this young preacher to get to town. And when he arrived, old Bert was waiting on him. And he introduced himself and 
He said, I understand you're the new preacher in town. The preacher said, that's right. And then old Bert said, well, I just want you to know that I think you're a fake and a fraud. I don't believe your Bible. I don't believe God. I don't believe uh, in Jesus. I believe your church is a cult, and I believe y'all do more damage than good in our little town. He said, now, what do you got to say about that? The young preacher looked at him. He thought for a minute, and then he quoted Oberta Bible verse from the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews. He said, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Obert said, don't be quoting the Bible to me. He said, I told you I don't believe in the Bible. He said, now what do you got to say about that? Preacher said, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Bert said, now young man, I done told you I don't believe all that nonsense, so don't be quoting me the Bible. It's just a waste of time. He said, that ain't no way to argue. And then the young pastor said it again. He said, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Bert said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. He said, I don't think you even got enough sense to argue with me. And then the preacher said it again. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Bert said, is that all you think to say? The preacher said it again. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And by now, he was steaming. He st turned around, stormed off. And years later, when old Bert only was giving his testimony in that same church, he said, as I walked over the bridge home that evening, he said, I could hear the frogs singing. And he said, it sounded like they were saying, judgment, judgment, judgment. And he said, all I could think about was what those frogs were saying. He said, all I could hear all night long was that Bible verse that young preacher had quoted. Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Well, friend, listen to me. As it was appointed to old hard-headed Bert, it's appointed to every man and woman who will ever live. We all have an appointment with death, and should that time come for you as an unbeliever, as someone who has refused to see, receive Christ into his heart as his Lord and Savior, then you, my friend, will be at this judgment. You, along with every other believer, will stand before God to be judged according to to your deeds. Now, there are four things that I want to teach you this morning with respect to this judgment. First is the setting, or at least the setting that John, the Apostle John, saw in his mind or in his vision. And that setting was that of a courtroom. Now, most of us here have uh, either been to a courtroom or we have at least seen one on television, so we've all uh, we all know uh, what a courtroom looks like. We've seen where the, the judge sits, the bench there, and the chair he sits in, how it's normally elevated above everyone else. And when you sit in the witness chair or when you stand before the judge, you're always at a lower level. And in John's vision, that's what he saw. He saw Jesus on a great white throne, and he was no doubt elevated above everyone else. And he was there, again, not to console, not to welcome anyone not to pity those who stood before him but he was there to judge them and to pass down his final verdict and sentence now again this throne the bible mentions is no ordinary throne john said it was a great throne first of all a great throne the greatness speaks of the power of it not the power of the throne itself but the power of the one who sat upon it second chronicles 
18, 18. It says, Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and his left. John also mentions that the throne which he saw was white in color. And the whiteness of the throne symbolizes God's purity and righteousness and holiness with which he judges. And again, it's not the purity or the holiness or the righteousness of the throne. It's the purity and the holiness and the righteousness of the one who sat upon it. And there's none more powerful, there's none more holy than Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think we can even come close to imagining what John saw. You see, John was a human, just like you and I, and whatever he saw, the only way he could relate it to us was in terms with which he had words to describe it. And I believe what he really saw was something that was impossible to describe in terms that we could understand. He says, in him who sat on it, that's the throne, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. Now that's the second thing that John saw. The second thing that John saw was a judge. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And who is the judge? It's Jesus, right? Jesus Christ will be the judge who sits upon the great white throne. You say, but I thought Jesus was our Savior. Well, Jesus is our Savior. He's our Savior if we've received him as our Lord and Savior, but he'll be our judge if we've not. He'll be our judge if we've rejected him as our Lord and Savior. And that's who John saw in this vision. He saw the judge, Jesus. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 22, if you would. John chapter 5 and verse 22, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Jesus Christ will be the judge. That's what the Bible tells us. It won't matter what you think of yourself. It won't matter what your mom and dad thinks of you. It won't matter uh, what your favorite grandma says. Nobody will be able to make excuses for you or gloss over or minimize or inflate what you did or did not do while here on this earth. Every unbeliever will stand before Jesus, the judge, at this judgment and answer for what he or she did in their lifetime, and whether they received Christ or rejected Christ. And yes, it's true that Jesus is described in the Bible as a lamb, but he's also described as a lion. And so Jesus in the Bible is a savior, but he's also a judge. One day, every one of us will face him as one or the other. If you're saved, you'll meet him as, uh, as a lamb before this judgment ever takes place. But if you die lost, you'll meet him as a lion. And make no mistake about it, we're everyone going to meet him. One way or the other, either as judge or as savior, one way or the other, you have a reservation to meet with Jesus. When that time comes, there won't be anywhere to hide. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says they hid themselves as if God didn't know where they were hiding. But when time comes to an end, when this judgment comes, and it comes time for you to stand before Jesus Christ at this judgment, there won't be any place to hide. In fact, the Bible tells us that the heavens and the earth fled away. Think about that. The heavens and the earth fled away. And that lines up with several other scriptures in the Bible that tell us that one day this world as we know it 
and even the heavens that surround it will be destroyed after the millennium. And God will make a brand new earth and a brand new heaven. That's beyond our imagination, I know, isn't it? That's that transcendence that, that uh, Brother Bill was talking about this morning. God's ways are higher than our ways. We can't even fathom what, what he does or what he knows and, or what's going to happen in the future. Well, during the interim, and that's when most scholars think that this judgment will take place, there won't be anywhere to hide from the piercing eyes of Christ. There won't be any heaven and earth as we know it. There'll be nothing but space, and all these billions of people will be standing in space, and all they'll see is Jesus Christ on that great white throne. There won't be any place to hide. There won't be any excuses. And so that, my friend, is the setting. A courtroom, a throne, a great white throne, and a judge who is Jesus. Every believer who's ever lived standing before him, every unbeliever who's ever lived standing before him. Next, John tells us about the summons. The summons, which will be delivered to mankind. God's going to send out uh, subpoenas to every unbeliever, or a summons, if you will. Look at verse 12. The Apostle John says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. And then skip to the next verse. He says in verse 13, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, every man, the Bible says, according to his own works. Now, friend, let me tell you, when God sends out those subpoenas or those summons, he doesn't have to get permission from a judge because he is the judge. And when a person receives that summons, they have no, they have no uh, other choice but to come. From wherever they are, they will come. They will come from the depths of hell, the depths of the sea, if they've just died and they're in the sea or, or, or wherever they are during their present life or if they were living during the millennium and had rejected Christ, every unbeliever of all times will come. And listen to me, it won't matter their status. It won't matter their position in life. It won't matter their power or their personality or the pitiful look on their face. None of that will matter. Every big shot and every little shot will come and stand before God to be judged. Now, there's going to be a lot of different kinds of people at this judgment. I'm going to describe for you just a few of those folks. And the reason I'm going to describe them to you is because if you uh, can compare yourself to them and identify with any one of these groups, then you too will be at this judgment if you continue to live like you are living and you continue to, to reject Christ. Now, the first group of people that will be there will be the blatant, unapologetic, and unrepentant sinners. They're folks that hate God. They hate Christ. They hate the Bible. They hate preachers. They hate Christians. They're just like old Bert before he got saved, only they never got saved. And make no mistake about it, there are a lot of people out there in that world just like this. Probably not any here in this building. I would hope not. Could be, I guess, but... More than likely, there probably aren't any people in this building who are just out and out hate God. But we've probably got some folks like that in our families. Or at the very least, we've got some folks like that where we work. And so they're out there, blatant, unrepentant, unapologetic sinners. But they'll be standing before Christ that day. 
Now, there will also be another group of people uh, at this judgment. They may be represented by someone here today, and that group will be made up of self-righteous people. Now, these folks think that because they're not blatant, unapologetic, unrepentant sinners, that they're going to heaven. They think that the gospel is only for the drug addict and the drunkard and, and the prostitute and the thief and the murderer, and, and they don't believe it's for them because they're nice people. They're good people. They, they drive fine automobiles. They wear nice clothing. They live in nice homes and communities and get along with their neighbors. Their children have good manners, and, and they don't think they need to be saved. Saved from what, they would ask. But the Bible says differently. God says that our unrighteousness or our good deeds that are done in our own strength are nothing but filthy rags. And when God looks at a person, if he doesn't see the righteousness of Christ inside that person, if he only sees that person's good deeds done in their own strength kind of righteousness, then he's not going to receive that person into heaven. In fact, the worst form of badness of human badness is human goodness. The worst form of human badness is human goodness, trying to do things in our own strength, not, not depending on God, not trying to seek out our gifts, not accepting him as our Lord and Savior and humbling ourselves to do whatever he calls us to do. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus when we get saved. Those who try to be righteous by performing good deeds or by trying to be good in their own strength, they don't understand the gospel. They're like I was for so many years, trying to, trying to do better, trying to pull my bootstraps up and live a better life, trying to quit this, trying to quit that. It wasn't until I humbled myself, broken over my sins, and pulled over to the side of the road that night and prayed to receive Christ. That's, that's when I truly understood the gospel, and that's when I was truly saved. They don't understand that Jesus had to die to make them righteous. He gave his life, in fact, to make us righteous. And for anyone to try and do it on their own or in their own strength is to make null and void what Jesus has already done on the cross of Calvary. And God won't accept that. He won't accept anything less than the blood of Jesus to pay for your sins and for mine. Now, the third group of folks that I believe will be there will be those who procrastinated. Those who procrastinated. There will be blatant sinners there. There will be self-righteous folks there. But this third group is made up of folks who, who know they're sinners or knew they were sinners, knew they needed to be saved, but they waited too long. And they said no one too many times. Chances are there's some folks like that here today. You know you need to be saved. You know you need to meet Christ, but you're just not ready to give up your sin because you love your sin more than you love Christ. Now, you're not planning to die and go to hell. You're planning, in fact, to get saved one day. You're just not willing to get saved today. And when I give the invitation in a few minutes, you're going to stand there and you're going to say to yourself, I need to go to the altar and give my life to Christ. I need to go. But another little voice inside of you is going to say, that's a, that's a good idea. Just don't go today. Just wait a little while. you got a little time. If you go down there today, you're going to spoil all that fun you were planning on 
having next week or next weekend. Don't do that. You've got plenty of time to go later. There'll be another chance. Well, if that's your mindset this morning, let me give you a, a word of caution. That last voice is not God's voice. Now, that's either your voice or it's Satan's voice or it's the voice of one of his demons. And I can assure you, assure you, it's not God's voice. God says, now is the day of salvation. Not even today. Not sometime today. God says now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, For he says, In an acceptable time I've heard you, and in the day of salvation I've helped you, because now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, if you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you to be saved, or to come to this altar for any reason this morning, please don't put it off. In fact, you don't have to wait till the invitation. This altar is always open for people to come. The first sermon I ever preached here this morning, uh, preached here at this, at this church service, the first service we ever had before I ever preached, a young man got out of his seat, came to this altar. Gave his heart to Christ. Listen, it's not about me. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit moves in your heart, you need to obey. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Don't put it off. A lot of things can change in a person's life in 24 hours. A lot of us here this morning can testify to that truth. And so if you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, Chances are he's dealt with you before. But friend, that doesn't mean he'll continue to deal with you. The door of opportunity for you to be saved can close at any moment. And only God knows when that will happen. It's appointed to every man once to die and then the judgment. Proverbs 29 says, 29 1 says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck or hardens his heart will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Friend, when the door of opportunity closes the last time, there's no way to open it back up. Once God draws you to him and calls you to be saved that final time and you reject that call, there's no remedy for you to be saved after that. So please, please listen closely to what I'm about to say. And Lord, help me say it so people will understand. This may be the last gospel message you'll ever hear. You cannot presume upon tomorrow. Tomorrow is nothing but a day on a fool's calendar. James 4.14 says, Where, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, but what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes, vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall, we shall live and do this or that. There are no doubt there are many, many people in hell today because they put it off till tomorrow. They put off till tomorrow what God was calling them to do today, but tomorrow never came. Now the fourth group of people who will be there to be judged will be church members and churchgoers. <laughs> they belong to a church. They have a form of religion, but they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Most importantly, he doesn't know them. There are a lot of people who get their name on a church roll. A lot of people 
who go to church on a regular basis, but their name is not written down in the Lamb's book of life. And we're going to see in a minute that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Now, friend, don't get me wrong. I believe in church membership. I believe in going to church on a regular basis, fellowshipping with other believers. The Bible tells us to do that. But being a member of a church or going to a church will not get you to heaven. The church will hopefully point you to heaven, but only a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ will get you there. The last a group of folks that will be at this judgment are those who've never heard the gospel. They're not blatant sinners. They're not self-righteous. They're not procrastinators. They don't go to church. They just never learn how to be saved. And you say, well, preacher, that's not fair. How could God let somebody die and go to hell who's never heard the gospel? You know what I think a better question would be? How could somebody be saved? God let them into heaven and they never once make an effort to tell somebody like that about Jesus. The truth is, people without Christ are going to be judged. But they're not going to be judged the same way you and I are going to be judged. Luke 12, 47 says, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes, but he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. To whom much has been committed of him, they will ask more. Listen, you're sitting in a church service this morning. You're listening to a preacher preach the word of God. You've been prayed for this week. You've heard people sing songs of praise. You may have sang them yourself. In just a few minutes, you're going to hear an invitation to receive Christ into your heart and be saved. Now, if those people who've never heard the gospel before are going to stand before God and be judged, and they are, then what do you think is going to happen to you? What's going to happen to you who knew your master's will and did not do it? Well, I hope by now you can visualize in your mind this courtroom setting. Jesus is on the throne. Billions of people who have been summoned to this judgment are standing before him. The dead, small and great, are standing in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And then the books were opened. They were opened to reveal the deeds and the secrets <coughs> of every person's life, every deed, good or bad, that they committed. Truth is, nothing that you've done in your lifetime has really been done in secret. God's heard every word. He saw every deed both good and bad. And every one of those deeds, every one of those words has been recorded in the books. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, For God will bring every work into judgment, every work, including every secret thing, whether good or evil, every secret that nobody knows, things that you did when you were in high school or college or things your mother and daddy don't know about, things your wife don't know about, things your children don't know about, probably some things you've forgotten about. God has a record of every secret, and he has every one of them recorded in his books. Matthew 12, 36 says, But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they'll give account of it in the day of judgment. Every curse word, every critical word, every time you took the Lord's name in vain or lied or, 
or has all that's been written down in those books and God has a record of your life and you may have forgotten about it, but God hasn't forgotten about it. Every word, every deed will be laid out there as evidence of your guilt. And your secrets will be revealed and used as evidence against you. Now, in the court system that we're used to, depending on the type of trial, there's usually a, a prosecuting attorney and a, a defense attorney or two attorneys going after each other on behalf of their clients. And there'll be a judge or a jury who'll make the final decision to render the verdict and pass down the sentence if that applies. But this court's different. There will be no attorneys. There'll be only one judge. No accusers, no accusations. Now, there'll be many defendants, but none will have a defense. There'll be only one thing left for the judge to do, and that's to present the evidence of your life. And if the evidence shows that you've committed even one sin, you'll be found guilty and sentenced to eternity in hell. Now, I want to make this real simple for you. Nobody in this courtroom will be found not guilty. Nobody who is summoned by the judge to this trial will walk away without being found guilty. Every person standing before Christ is guilty and will be sentenced. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every person who ever lived. Six, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, and that death is eternal death, eternal death in hell. Now, why are these people at this judgment? Because their name could not be found in the book of life. Their name wasn't written down in the book of life. And why wasn't it written down in the book of life? Because they had never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so the question this morning is this. Is your name written down? Is your name written down in the book of life? If you were, uh, God were to call you home today, or tonight while you sleep, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Or is there a chance you'd spend eternity in hell? Verse 13 says, and they were judged, each one according to their works. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, a lot of people don't believe that, but it doesn't change the fact that it's true. Friend, that's the sentence for people whose names are not found in the book of life. For people who reject Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's the sentence to spend eternity in a lake of fire. What a horrible and frightening thought that is, to be forever doomed with no chance of her of relief, to burn forever and ever and ever and ever. When, when you're there a thousand years, you still have trillions more to go. And when the trillions more are up, it'll start all over again. There'll be no end to your suffering. I, we can't even imagine, we can't even imagine how frightening it would be to die without Christ. That's so frightening to me, I have a hard time preaching it. I have nightmares and see the faces of my loved ones in those flames sometimes. And it's just more than I can take sometimes. I just have to make my mind go somewhere else. But to ignore it, to not preach it, to not warn people, how could I do that when I've been called to preach and when I've been saved from this horrible, horrible place? And so this morning I stand before you 
And I beg you, I literally beg you, if you're not 100% sure you'd go to heaven if you died right now, please, please don't leave here without Jesus. I don't care if you've been going to church all your life. I don't care if you're a, a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a preacher or preacher's son or daughter. It doesn't matter. If you're not 100% sure you'd go to heaven, then please don't leave here without Jesus. We're going to sing an old familiar hymn this morning. The title of it's going to be our invitation. It's called Just As I Am, and that's the way I'm going to invite you to come to Jesus this morning, just as you are. He wants you to come to this altar and lay it all down. He doesn't want you to try and straighten up or fix yourself up or stop this or stop that. He wants you to come just like you are. Lay it all out. Let him do what only he can do. Make you a brand new creature. And he will. Old things will pass away and behold all things will become new. He'll do that for you if you'll be willing to humble yourself. Give your heart to Christ this morning. Confess that you're a sinner. Tell him you need him to, to save you. And he will. I promise you. I promise you he will. Please don't turn him away this morning. Please don't leave without Jesus. Please. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name.